Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, not part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Bob Bryant. He's the CTO at Mission Canine Rescue. Uh, the website is Mission Canine Rescue, the letter K, the number nine, uh, dot online press kit 247.com. So Bob is, again, the Chief Technology Officer of Mission Canine Rescue. It's an animal welfare group dedicated solely to rescuing, reuniting, rehoming, repairing, and rehabilitating American working dogs. So we're going to talk about his work. Bob, thank you for coming. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me today. Our main website is actually missioncaninerescue.org. Uh, thankful that you put out our Prescott site because that way the public can get on if they want to and they can see the work that we've been doing. But no, I appreciate you having me on your podcast today. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Tell, tell me a bit about your background, how you got into working with working dogs. Uh, it's actually quite a story. Uh, my main line of work is merchant services. I work in credit card processing, primarily deal with e-commerce companies. Been doing this since uh, 2005. Have good residual income that comes in for it. And I was searching for some large Facebook groups back in 2011 that I could approach with an offer to, if they would you know, share my work, I would share my residual income. I met the founders of the group uh, that preceded Mission Canine Rescue. They were doing similar work in the area. Uh, we met, they agreed, and uh, it, we actually had success with it. And I mentioned to them that they should really consider doing social media advertising, Google ads. Uh, they hadn't really thought about that. And their executive director at the time was not interested in spending money, even though I think you and I know you have to spend money to make money. She refused. They ran out of money. She got a real job, quote unquote, and that organization had to be shut down. In the fall of 2012, Kristen Maurer, our president and my founding partner, reached out to me and said, hey, we don't want to stop doing this. We want to keep this going. Will you co-found this organization with us? And that was 10 years ago. I said, yes. Uh, I haven't regretted it since, but if you would have told me 12 years ago, I'd be bringing home working dogs from every part of the world. I would have told you were patently insane. However, yeah. here I am, and we're doing it. Well, were you just not someone that had like tons of pets your whole life, or why bringing them home was such a big deal for you? Well, no, I hadn't had uh, pets my whole life. In fact, uh, I had felt I didn't feel at that time in the manner in which I feel now about pets, which was that I viewed them as maybe. I'm not going to use the word disposable. I don't ever think they were disposable, but uh, I never had issues with, you know, dogs that people kept outside all the time, didn't come in much. We really didn't discuss it uh, too much. But after working with Mission Canine and uh, Kristen and uh, my other partner, Louisa, and seeing exactly what these dogs are capable of doing, how intelligent they are, how they have saved countless lives in their service, it really moved me to a position that it became an emotional thing for me. I wanted them 
to get the help they needed. It really talk about a shift in mindset. It was amazing how fast it shifted mind. Yeah, my daughter has a service dog that she trained, and it's really cool. I, I have the feeling now, or I think now, that everyone that owns a dog should at least do obedience training because it's just it, it makes the relationship with your dog a lot easier, if nothing else. You know, you don't necessarily have to have them pick up stuff or open doors, but just the obedience training again, like, seems to make more of a bond between uh, the dog and the owner, and it's just a better well, relationship. I feel. I agree with you, and I'll add one more thing. It will keep the dog safer. If the dog is trained to be recalled by a particular method and the dog will always come, you're not going to have the problem of a dog being off leash maybe and it takes off after a larger dog that can, you know, do it harm. You can, you know, do the recall. The dog will stay there. Of course, the good idea is probably not to have the dog off leash in the first place, but a properly trained dog will save itself from a lot of grief as well. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, so... When you say working dogs, what are some of the functions that you help train dogs for? Is it for police and the emergency techs, or is it for regular folks, or what, well, what do you do training? Well, you know, actually, we don't train them to do anything. We actually try to untrain them. The organizations that provide the training are the entities that own them. In the case of majority of the dogs we work with, these are military working dogs. They are owned by the United States government. They're trained by the Lackland uh, joint Task Force base in San Antonio, Texas. Dogs go through about a year's worth of training. They are actually, they have a puppy program where they have people that raise the puppies that will be put into this position. So they start receiving training very early. Then in their specific training school, they learn how to detect various odors, whether it's uh, particular to narcotics detection or explosive detection. Normally, they don't try to train dogs to do both. Uh, there's some specialized skills that some dogs have. They're trained to detect currency, of all things. Some are trained to detect electronics. But the military will put these dogs through just rigorous athletic training. Most dogs that serve the military are dual purpose. By, by dual purpose, I mean that they are not only trained to detect substance, they're also trained to bite, uh, to protect their handler. That's done out of Lackland. Then you have a class of working dogs that are called contract working dogs. These dogs are owned by private contractors, companies like AMK9, Von Lick Kennels, other associated for-profit groups here in the United States. Their dogs are trained identically, just, you know, they're not government property. And then these dogs are placed where they're needed, where they have contracts for them worldwide, either in ports or airports screening things. Then we also have TSA. TSA, of course, trains their dogs. Some are trained to detect explosives at a long distance, you know, across a crowded airport. That's And police, similar training, but again, heavy on protection. Did that answer your question, sir? Yeah. So I guess after such intense training, um, how long are the dogs in service and what happens when they're no longer needed or no longer able, maybe because of injury or other reasons, bring them down and not just throw them into being a pet because they wouldn't know what to do. That's true. We tr we literally are the unhandlers when we when we get these dogs. Normally, I see working dogs retire around nine, uh, eight to eleven years old, more probably in the nine to ten year old category. These dogs, when they're retired, the military they'll either go to one of their former handlers if they have one. If not, then they would 
go to the Lackland Air Force Base where they're adopted out. However, in many cases now, the military is calling us and they're asking us to take certain dogs. So when we bring a dog into our care, they can, uh, we, we have a ranch in Magnolia, Texas, uh, where we operate our program. We have space for about 60 dogs. And when they come in, we evaluate them. We find out if they're aggressive toward other dogs, toward cats. Are they food aggressive? Are they fence aggressive? You know, you'll have dogs that will fight through a fence, but you open the gate and they're the best buddies. So we try to determine the nature of any problems the dog has. They receive any vet care that they need. Decompression can take as little as a week. It can take as much as six months. And we have a lot of people that ask us, well, how do you cure a dog that has PTSD? And the answer is you don't. You just try to provide them with other good stimulating things that will help them to not have those triggers in their life. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What is the importance of your organization? If you weren't there, what would happen to these folks? If our organization wasn't here, probably... 75% of them would be euthanized or their handlers would not get them. There are a couple of other smaller organizations that do what we do. So if, if we were to go away tomorrow, the work would still go on. In fact, some of them would probably amplify the work that we do to kind of pick up the slack. But no, there would be dogs that would be spending times in kennels overseas after they've been deemed, you know, non-workable. We've gotten dogs back that weigh 35 pounds that should weigh 70 when contractors run out of money. Unfortunately, the first thing that suffers is the dogs. Uh, the military, not so much, but after a military dog is retired, if it, they're, they're starting to bring the dogs home from abroad. That was the law that was passed back in 2016 that when dogs were retired, they were to bring them home. However, they haven't done this until just recently, and we've gotten some cooperation from Korea and Japan with them flying dogs home, but in other places, they will have their handlers pay for the uh, flight home. And most corporals don't have $6,000 to get a dog home from Guam. So that's where we come in. We have a very generous uh, donor base that provides the funding for these reunions, for the care these dogs need, for anything that uh, they might require. I would say that the dogs that have been trained for protection, you know, to bite in case, or bite on command, are those the toughest to bring back into society, or what kinds, what kind of training? Yeah, I'd say yes. And the reason I say that is because laying at my feet down here is retired Canadian police canine Navy. Navy is a bike-trained drug dog, and I literally have to keep my head on the swivel when I'm out with him. He is very protective. Taking a bike from him once from a friend that came up that's hard of hearing, I told him to stop. 
He didn't hear me. Then I gestured with my hand for him to stop. My dog's just laying down. I think he's comfortable. He's ready to get the guy. Richard reaches his hand out to shake mine. At that time, Jaws jumps up off the ground, just absolutely going at him 100 miles an hour. I turned, stuck my arm out, took the bite. He immediately let it go. He realized he screwed up, but I couldn't be mad at him because he did exactly what he was trained to do. No, it's very, very difficult. And when we have police canines or dual-purpose dogs, meaning attack and substance detection, we're very selective about who we adopt to because these dogs, one bite, and uh, there's trouble. Two bites, the dogs get euthanized. So we don't want that to happen to our dogs. Okay, that makes sense. Can you detrain the dog that's been trained to bite, or it's forever with us? It's always there. Huh. So where do these dogs typically go? They go to, uh, to homes with individuals that are familiar and able to handle large breed dogs that may have aggression training. There's uh, a number of you know people that were in the United States military that have worked privately that we have enough places to put them. Now, we've also got a lot of dogs that don't bite, that are great, that just want to lay on the couch and lick whoever comes over. You know, there's a little bit of both, but we provide, we find homes for all of them. What happens to the dogs that are trained to, you know, identify drugs or you know, plastics or whatever? Do they still have that ingrained? Do they oh yes, their own and sniff things to death or what happens? To uh, we incur, I have a new office here where I am now. I, one of our donors is downsizing and he'd given us office space, but wasn't going to ask him for the space I needed in his new building, so we leased the place. And the first thing that K-9 Navy did when I walked him in the door is he searched the entire office and he alerted on a spot where I found what was marijuana at one time. Somebody had put it there. We have uh, handlers. In fact, uh, one of our uh, military working dog handlers named Vance. Vance reunited with his dog named Icar several years ago, and Vance taught Icar how to sniff out elk antler sheds up in Idaho. Uh, he's made quite a bit of money, and the dog loves to hunt them. Uh, we don't allow any, any of our dogs to be worked in a commercial aspect after they're retired, but you know, if you want to hide something, let the dog find it for fun. Absolutely. Uh, my dog's learned how to find tennis balls. He's found a couple of hundred in the last three years, just buried in bushes. You name it, he collects them. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Amazing, their skill. How do you introduce uh, dogs to a new owner, depending on their training? Like, especially, again, the bite training, finding things. Like, how do you uh, educate the new owners on what to do? First of all, our adoption process is pretty selective. We want to make sure that we put the right dog with the right people. And for that reason, we don't always post pictures of all our dogs on social media because everybody will want to adopt the dog they see in the picture, and that dog may be the worst fit. Uh, first thing we'll do is we will go over with the adopters, you know, the language that their dogs were trained in. They were either trained in German or Czechoslovakian. Some of them were trained in French. Some are trained in English. Navy speaks French and Czech. So he's, he's bilingual, I guess. We will tell them how to get them to search, you know, tell them what the commands are. Uh, for instance, uh, to tell a dog to heal in German, you tell them Fuss, F-O-O-S, and they will come to you and they'll walk by your side. So we make sure they know how to do that. The dogs that are by trained, we just want to make sure that these people, when they come down, that they're able to handle the dog. They're, you know, strong enough to handle the dog. They have a strong enough will to tell the dog no and make sure the dog means no without being cruel or, you know, ultra disciplinary. You know, we don't want any, any of our dogs, you know, getting in trouble. 
on a regular basis. But working with bike train dogs is just like drug dogs, bomb dogs. You just have to get to know the dog, and the owners get to know the dog pretty rapidly. Hmm, okay. Well, what are some of the challenges that you guys have in your work that you know most people wouldn't know about? That people care more about dogs coming home than they do about keeping them healthy once they get home. I can put out a request. For instance, we were aware that there were working dogs left behind in Afghanistan during the troop drawdown uh, at the Kabul airport. Not United States military working dogs, but United States and Canadian contract working dogs. The Taliban took those dogs, and we've gotten reports about it over the past couple of years, but now we find out that there's about 20 that are going to be ready to come home. The local group that we work with is getting the Taliban to release them. I'll have no trouble raising $40,000 in three or four days to get dogs home from Afghanistan. But if those dogs need health care when they get home, it's like asking, you know, it's me asking you if I can pull your wisdom tooth. You're really not into that. They're happy when they come home, but they don't seem to care so much if they're healthy. And that kind of seems like a disconnect. I hope that the public would want the dogs to have the care they deserved from the work they performed abroad. Is there any like pension or dispensation that no. the military will give? No, no, sir. Working dogs, military, contract, or otherwise, receive nothing. We're pushing the military to provide health care for life for these dogs. I mean, soldiers get VA benefits. Why not the dogs? They, they did the work. They served. And they have to be covered a whole lot shorter time than a soldier. Are they designated as equipment? Maybe they're not even on paper living they, things. Maybe that's why. Well, there's a bill right now that's trying to be introduced that will force the military to recognize them as soldier assets rather than equipment. But currently, they're considered excess when they cannot work. And so your answer is yes, they are still considered equipment, but that is changing fairly quickly. So what's next for the organization? Are you, uh, you're working to have, I guess you're working with the military to have them recognized, but what else do you see there's a need for in order to help these dogs? Well, just to bring more home, the, the, you know, we've been doing this 10 years now. Every year we do just a little bit more. The more people that find out about us, the more people they know that have dogs, the more requests we get to take them. We just have to maintain adequate funding to be able to support the workload that's just out to us. A lot of people ask me, you know, I need your budget for 2023. I look at them and say, I don't have one. They say, why not? You know, you do did $1.7 million in 2021. And I tell them that we will basically assume that we're going to spend the same or more. However, we might get asked to bring home a group of 50 dogs, and that would never be in the budget, but we still find a way to raise the money to bring them home. We've never had to say no yet to working dog in need. So you mentioned that people don't seem to care about the health of the dogs once they get back. Is that because they need specialized food or what, like, what do people do that compromises the health of the dogs? No, they're not compromising the health of the dogs. The dogs come back to us needing veterinary care from their time abroad. They don't get the vet care they need. They don't get the immunizations. These dogs may have joint problems. They may have liver problems. They may have kidney problems. They may have pancreatitis, uh, lots of different panis, which is an eye problem. And we have some dogs, we have three right now that need hip replacements. And we had one guy say the other day, well, you just need to put those dogs down. They'll have no quality of life. I'm here to tell you now, I've seen five dogs have hip replacements. 
that have played like puppies within three months after the operation. So we most certainly will provide that for them. Now, I just think that people assume when it comes to health care that someone else is going to pay for it. That's my, not that they don't care. It's just that it's not on their priority. They will give to bring a dog home before they will give to help a dog get, say, TPLO joint surgery or a hip replacement. Would it make sense to identify the needs of any of the particular dogs before they're slated to come home? Do it tie the two together? We do it all the time, and that's exactly, while we don't necessarily try to tie it together, we're very upfront about what dogs are going to need. And generally, these transports, we're fortunate that they're overfunded. And when they're overfunded, that gives us funds to apply to vet care, and it generally all works itself out. What does it cost to bring a dog home? Do you, is there a certain amount, and that's what you raise money for? Or do you raise for, like a plane has enough room for 25, so then you're raising for this particular group size? Like, how does it work? No. It depends on where the dog is coming from, first of all. For instance, in the Middle East to, let's say, Korea to Japan, we'll normally fly over there, and one person can fly back with two dogs. as, a, as They're considered escorts. Uh, flights from Korea and Japan, even with escorts, are around 4500 to $5,000 a dog. From the Middle East, it's about 2500 from, say, uh, the say flight from Kuwait, flying as escorts. However, you get to Afghanistan, you get to Guam, that doesn't happen. Also, places like uh, North Africa, where we bring in dogs that have done demining work, uh, there's no escort flights. Those flights can be $6,000 a dog. And we will just raise the money. You know, we'll say, hey, you know, it's this much a piece. We need this much money. And we put it out there, and people will give toward it and make our goal. And then if we do overfund it, as I say, we will use that for any vet care that is not included in the funding I requested. That's crazy how it could be so expensive. Yeah, if, they, if their dogs get reclassified in the right way, then what would happen to the expense of transporting them because they're soldiers' assets? Would it come down? I'll answer that question exactly. Recently, the United States Air Force uh, did us a big favor. They flew two dogs from Japan to their base in Seattle, Washington. And in that case, all we had to do was then get one dog to Florida and then get another dog up to Illinois. So we had the cost of stateside transportation, which was about $1,500 or $2,000 a dog at that point. Even then, yeah, that's crazy. I would think they have, you know, radically discounted flights from military personnel. So why not? No, sir. It's, it's air cargo. It's precious. Uh, they fill it at the top price, first come, first serve. Dogs that we take to reunite with their military uh, handlers all across the United States, these particular dogs, in many cases, we will fly them in cabin. I know Southwest Airlines has got kind of a bad rap recently, but they were one of our best, and they rolled out the red carpet. We had a dog that was going to a handler. We sat right up in the front seat in the bulkhead. The dog sat with us, and they made a big deal out of it. But no, anytime we're flying, anytime you're talking overseas, the dog has to fly in the belly of the plane in cargo. Can't be in, in cabin. You know, what you just told me that story, it, it makes sense for protection on the flight. I don't know, could you do something where, I don't know, the dog is trained to protect any entry in, you know, the, the front door for the pilots or protect the pilots somehow? I mean, then it would serve an additional function. And I wonder if uh, the airlines actually would compensate you in a certain way because then the dog would temporarily be like a, 
an employee of the airline and had never thought about that. My thought, though, initially is that the dog would be a bike risk to every passenger on the plane. Well, maybe not bites, but, you know, are there dogs that are trained to, I guess, herd or block off or get in the way of, of someone if they're being approached by someone? Not necessarily bite them, but just ward the person off like a sheepdog or something. Like maybe so. Just remember, though, these dogs are older. It would be like asking your granddad to fight for you. The thing is with dogs, though, they're so loyal and they're so wonderful. They will, no matter what uh, state they're in. I know. I just hate to see I've seen some do it, and I've seen a lot of dogs get hurt. No, it's an interesting idea. I think, uh, honestly, I think a younger dog that was trained for that kind of work, it would be great. Older dogs, not so much, but it's interesting for sure. Well, I'll just say one more thing. I'll let it go. But if I was a passenger and it was announced that we had a special dog on board that is training or is trained to, uh, you know, to defend the pilots in case of whatever, and he'll have a vest on, so please don't pet him and just be aware. And even if the dog doesn't have that particular training, people will, I think people will be like, whoa, they would stay away, you know, and the dog probably wouldn't have to do much. Very true. Did you know something very similar to that? You talk about the way the dog looks, you know, whoa, scary, stay away. That's the reason why the TSA security in the airports uses Labrador Retrievers, German Short-Haired Pointers, and Springer Spaniels. It's because they're not scary looking. People are confident. Yeah, that's true. You know, a Belgian Malinois or a German Shepherd is a little bit intimidating. You get sniffed down by one at the airport, but the little lab comes and dances at your feet and sniffs you. You just want to pet it. So why do they do that? Because uh, it, did they try it when they had scarier dogs and people just didn't react well or what happened? I don't know the exact reason why. I can just tell you that the handlers I've spoken with, uh, one gentleman we know that's over the Western Pacific region, is the one that told me that the public responds positively to the, you know, dogs other than shepherds and Malinois. And obviously they've had some sort of airport, you know, interaction to make that judgment, but I don't know exactly. Well, hopefully um, maybe you can massage the idea and bring it forth at some point if you think it's good. So there okay. you go. Appreciate your contribution. It would be funny if you could have it speak on command and then they, they do the flight instructions and they go, all right, the dog goes, rawr, rawr. yeah, tell them where it has to show them where the exit door is, put on the life vest. Exactly. <laughs> cool. So it sounds like a wonderful job that you have, a wonderful mission. Where do you see it going over the next few years? How do you want to grow it, expand it, or refine it? Well, I'd be delighted if we weren't needed in a few years, but unfortunately, I don't see that coming to fruition. Uh, I need to develop more avenues for funding. Uh, we could do a lot more at about a $4 million a year work level than we can at 1.8. There's some things we'd like to do. We'd like to better our facilities. We'd like to be able to take in more dogs. We'd like to be able to keep some longer, but we're, we're not a hospice. We don't, we don't keep them for life. Uh, there's a couple of organizations that will do that. Uh, however, just good, positive growth and trying to make people aware of what we do. You know, it's amazing after 10 years, there's still some people that have never heard of us, but it just is what it is, part of doing work. Yeah. Uh, do you raise money? Are you nonprofit or how do you? Yes, we're, yes we're 501c3. I'm the one that does it. I'm the one that's responsible for making sure everybody gets paid, that all the dogs get home. Uh, I raise a lot of money uh, via social media advertising through targeted ads on Facebook, I do a little bit on Instagram. We have a Google advertising grant that gives us a set amount of funds each month to use on Google AdWords campaigns. We have those very optimized. Our search engine optimization is on point. We're number one for most of the top 10 search terms on that. 
and we've developed a, a good network with entities that provide grants of various sorts. And one thing you should know, or anyone who wants to give us should know, is that we really are non-profit of a dollar given, 93 cents actually goes to the work. I use the other seven cents to advertise to get another 93 cents. Nobody's flying first class. Nobody's staying in fancy hotels, eating in, you know, $100 a plate restaurants. These ladies that haul these dogs all over the country, they sleep in Roadside Park. I've fussed at them before, you know, told them they should, you know, live up a little bit more of a notch. But no, you know, they want to save the money and they want to, they want to make good use of donor funds. And that's really important to me, too. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Well, for listeners, I really hope they consider donating to your organization. I think it's a great, really great organization, you know, from what I'm hearing. And um, how can people find out more? Can you restate uh, the websites and where? I'll give you several avenues. If you want to see what we're doing currently, the best place to look is on Facebook. We're listed as Mission K9 on Facebook. Same thing with Instagram. And uh, it's Mission K9 Rescue. Dot org. Uh, you can donate there. And, you know, we appreciate uh, anything from a dollar to a million dollars. We're not picky. That's great, Bob. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Richard, thank you. I hope you have a good day, sir. And uh, if you need anything else, feel free to reach out. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.